Lonely song, the songs for you. What has made Sherlock Holmes so endearing and enduring to us, to people in the world? The TV series House is an obvious spinoff from Holmes. Holmes, House. John Watson was Holmes' partner in solving crimes, and House's partner is James Wilson. Holmes was addicted to cocaine. House is addicted to Vicodin. Holmes fiddled with a violin. House fiddles with a ball while he's solving cases. Both of them were kind of cavalier about social etiquette. They didn't really care much what other people thought, and they both seemed to be a tad arrogant, at least from our point of view. They easily wounded other people's self-love, which, of course, anyone can do if they have a course set. You'll find that people who set a course have an aim, have a tendency to, without deliberately trying to, have a tendency to offend other people's self-love, or our self-love, as it were. Because having a course, you have your mind set on the aim, and all the smaller things are not as significant, like, do they like me? Am I going to offend anyone? You stop thinking so much about what other people are thinking about you, and you're thinking more about your own goal, your own aim. It's not just people who love a good mystery who enjoy Sherlock Holmes or House. There are hundreds of thousands of mystery stories and novels in secondhand bookstores all over the world. None of them are that enduring. I have the illustrated Sherlock Holmes, both novels and stories. Interestingly enough, I own absolutely no other mystery stories. They just don't fascinate me. They just don't hold much for me. I don't enjoy mystery-type films. So mystery stories, mystery novels don't impress me very much. I know that some people love to read mysteries. Other people love to read romances. I like to read biographies or autobiographies. I always find them a bit more interesting. History, which a biography and an autobiography is. What is it that made Arthur Conan Doyle's character such a classic and his name a household word? You Google mystery and you will come up with at least three or four images of Sherlock Holmes and his pipe and that hat that we all associate with Sherlock Holmes or a big magnifying glass with Sherlock Holmes or a Sherlock Holmes silhouette holding it. It's really kind of amazing when you think about it, that it is entered into the consciousness of the entire race to such a degree. Everything we see is caused by something or else it could not exist. There's no way that it can exist unless it's caused by something. If you can see it, something caused it or else it's not there. There isn't anything that we can see that has no cause. This is obvious when you think about it or when you look at it. The chair you're sitting on has a cause. Though the law of cause and effect is simply stated, it's not so easily understood. And when it is easily understood, it's actually being misunderstood. We live in a world of effects. That's obvious by looking around. We live in a world of effects. It's certainly not a world of cause, but it is a world of effects. Yet, we don't regularly recognize this. Ordinarily, we don't recognize that this world is not the cause of the effects that we see in it. As a rule, we think that the cause of the effects that we see are also in this world. This puts us at a tremendous disadvantage because we, in that case, are not seeing things as they really are. The world we see, with all of its different colors, its shapes, objects, is a world of effects. The cause of these effects is not immediately evident to the senses. But there's a next step that must be taken, and that's what makes Sherlock so powerful. 
Though the causes of the effects we see aren't visible to the senses, they are visible to the mind. That's the next step. The link between cause and effect is a mystery, perhaps the greatest of mysteries to us, because cause and effect are on different levels. They're on different planes. The cause of the effect that we see here is not on this physical plane. It's on a different plane, a plane that cannot be perceived with the five senses, but a plane that can be perceived with what Sherlock Holmes really represents, a diligent, controlled, directed mind. The man could think. He could observe. What makes him so incredible is his powers of observation. It's the one thing that people scratch their heads about. It's like, wow, how did he know that? How could he see that? And we all see in the stories, it's shown that he just looks harder than the rest of us do. And he sees things and catalogs things in his mind when the rest of us are busy fooling around with all the world of effects. It's the metaphysical mystery. Metaphysical is transcending physical matter. The world of effects that we live in is physical matter. The chair you're sitting on, the floor that the chair is on, the walls, the ceiling, all the furniture, everything around you, the people around you, they are all made up of physical matter. But this is not where the cause is. The cause is transcending that. It's something beyond physical matter. I'll give you an example, and this is a great example. I love this example. In a detective story, there's a dead body. I mean, a good detective story has got to have a dead body, right? And then the question, obviously, is who done it? This is an effect. The dead body is an effect clearly visible to the senses. Anyone can detect a dead body. Blind people can detect a dead body. If it's there long enough, they can smell it. They can trip over it. They can feel it. There's a dead body. It can be detected by anyone with some senses. Even Inspector Lestrade of the Scotland Yard can detect a dead body. That's about all he can do, but he could detect a dead body. There was a dead body, and Sherlock Holmes, he, Sherlock Holmes would be called in to the case, and he would say to Holmes, there's a dead body, and Holmes would say, brilliant observation, Lestrade, you know. And, and that would be the end of that, and Lestrade's job was done. We won't go into who Lestrade represents in our lives, because that would really offend our self-love. And I expect our self-love is going to be offended more often than we'd like it to be offended today, anyhow. So let's try and move around it as much as possible. The cause of the dead body, however, is not evident in the same way as the clearly visible to the senses dead body. And this is where the game is afoot, as Holmes would say. This is where Holmes shines and Lestrade's dullness becomes glaring. Only the use of the mind will reveal the dead body's cause. The level or plane of the causes is different from the level of the effects they produce. This is why it's so difficult for Lestrade to ever figure out how, what's the cause of the dead body. He may be able to say, oh, it looks like strangulation, or it looks like he's been shot, or it looks like he's been stabbed, or it looks like this, or it looks like that. Then Holmes will always come in and say, well, that's maybe what it looks like at first glance, but then when you look deeper, you find that that's not the way it is. And isn't that us? Isn't Lestrade like us? Don't we usually take the first answer that pops up? Oh, well, that's what it is. And if someone says to us, as Holmes will say to Lestrade, maybe it's not that, maybe it's this. We're offended the same way Lestrade is offended. Someone will say, she said that because she doesn't like me. And someone else more objective might say, well, maybe she said that because that's what she thought. And it doesn't have anything to do with you. And then the person who is offended is offended further because you didn't agree with them. Because you gave them an option not to be offended. 
You have to understand that we aren't looking for options not to be offended. In this life, we are looking for cause to be offended. We're looking for the donkey. We've got the tail. And now, blindfolded, we're looking for the donkey. And the unfortunate thing is, we'll stick that tail almost anywhere to get the satisfaction of thinking that now we've pinned the tail on the donkey. So we know that one of the things that makes Holmes extraordinary is that he operates on a different level than Lestrade, than us. The level or the plane of the cause being different from the level of the effect that the causes produce. The cause lies in that area that transcends physical matter. It's invisible to the senses because it transcends physical matter and the senses operate only in physical matter. There is no other place that the senses can operate. They can only operate in the world of physical matter. So anything beyond the world of physical matter, anything that transcends that, that is above that, whether it's just a little above it or whether it's miles above it, the senses cannot apprehend. The senses are not aware of it. But there is something that can become aware of it, and that is the mind. What kind of mind? Clearly, Lestrade had a mind. Clearly, Holmes had a mind. Clearly, Watson had a mind. It was Watson, right? I didn't want to start calling him Wilson. Okay, so Watson had a mind. Holmes had a mind. Lestrade had a mind. Everybody's got a mind in the stories, in the mystery. But in this metaphysical mystery, there are two kinds of minds. There's the kind of mind that Holmes has, and there's the kind of mind that we have. The kind of mind that we have, the Lestrade mind, is a mind that is based on the senses and can't really see beyond the senses, not without a lot of help. And even with that help, there's something standing in the way. And that is our self-love, our pride, our vanity, the same thing that stands in Lestrade's way. He tolerates Holmes. He doesn't look up to him. He tolerates him. Who Lestrade looks up to is himself, just like us. Who we look up to is ourselves. What we look up to, the mind that we value above all other minds, is our own mind. Who is always right? Who always knows what someone else is really thinking? Who always knows when someone else is lying? Who always knows the truth about everything? Your mind. There's no other mind that compares to that. No other mind has 100% accuracy except your mind. Your mind is never wrong. Everyone else is flawed unless they agree with your mind and then it shows that they're not completely flawed. This is our condition. Now we've moved from mystery into comedy, but no one's laughing because it's a mystery how we can live in this comedy and not see it. What makes Holmes fascinating is that right here, endless errors proliferate and thrive because effects can be ascribed to the wrong cause. Here's what separates him from everyone else. Effects can be ascribed to the wrong cause. Lestrade looks at something and says, well, it's this. Holmes looks at it a little closer. And he said, well, it could be that, but it could also be this or this or this. So now the one thing has opened up into many things. You'll remember from the last time we talked, we were talking about how when this work enters into you, when these ideas, when these esoteric ideas are allowed, when you give consent to them, and they are allowed to get inside of you, they start to use their intelligence to open things up to you so that when you see one thing, what these ideas will do is they'll open up your mind, they'll expand your consciousness so that you start to see many things or several things where you only saw one thing before. Relying on your own Lestrade intelligence, you'll see one thing, maybe two things. Relying on this intelligence that comes from these ideas, you will open up and see many things. This is what makes Holmes fascinating. In the past, I've called it Tigger logic and used as an example, the siren blew, the toaster broke. 
Now I know that when sirens blow, toasters break. We can call it Lestrade logic, if you like. At least for today, we'll call it Lestrade logic. It's that whole idea that we take the first cause that comes up. Siren blows, toaster breaks. Now we know that when sirens blow, toasters break. Holmes would laugh at that. Well, no, he wouldn't laugh at that because he was rather humorless, wasn't he? Holmes would disagree with that. He would think that that was very shallow. He would think it was stupid because it is. But it's only stupid if someone else thinks that. If we think it, it's right. And if someone else thinks it and we don't happen to agree with them, then it's stupid. If we could think from right causes, we'd move in the direction of more internal thought, which, as we discussed last week, sees more. The more internal our thoughts are, the closer they are to this transcendent plane, this plane, this level beyond or transcending the physical level, the physical level of effects that we are living in. The more interior our thinking is, the more we go into another part of our mind, another kind of mind the more available other kinds of thoughts are to us. Thoughts that are not so closely connected to and attached to this realm of the five senses, this realm of effects, the phenomenal world. What makes Holmes a genius is that he sees more. When you think about it, what is the difference between a man like Albert Einstein and you? Besides the fact that you're alive and he's dead. The fact is, he saw more. He looked at something and he saw more. He saw more possibilities. He saw different causes. He saw things that most of us simply could not see, but he did see them. As an example, he was stirring his coffee one morning, and as he looked in the coffee, he came up with some idea about centrifugal force and all these theories and different things. Another time he was shaving, and as he was looking in the mirror shaving, he imagined himself riding a beam of light at 186,000 whatever miles per second and holding a hand mirror while he was doing it. And then he imagined that because he was traveling at the speed of light, the light could not hit the mirror and so could not reflect back to him his image. So he would be looking in a mirror and not be able to see himself. Who thinks like that? And isn't it fascinating? I have loved these stories ever since I can remember. I mean, stories about Albert Einstein and how he thought. And this is what makes homes so interesting. And this is what makes esoteric ideas so interesting. They can open up a world to us that is now closed. They can open up our inner eye when now all we do is look through these two physical eyes. What makes Holmes a genius is that he sees more. In one effect, there are many causes. Now, this is hard for us. We want there to be one cause and one effect. We don't see how there can be many causes and only one effect. We can see how there can be one cause and many effects, but we don't easily see how there can be one effect and many causes. Just as with house, in one symptom, there's a choice of many diseases that could cause the symptom. And that's one of the things that makes that character so interesting. He is constantly looking for other causes for this symptom that his whole team is saying, well, it's this, and it can't be anything else. And he presses them constantly to look for more, look for more. He's constantly pressing them out. And his opposition is Foreman. The guy always says, oh, we already know it's that. You're going to kill the patient. Blah, 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 blah. Foreman acts like Lestrade. He's the opposing force. Except he's not stupid. He's just stubborn, which Lestrade is as well. Lestrade gets to be stupid and stubborn, which is a deadly combination when you think about it. 
Of course, you won't be able to see that because you're sitting on that beam of light holding the mirror in front of you and you can't see yourself. But if you could see yourself, you would see that that deadly combination was residing right there in you. Stupid and stubborn. Stupid only means slow to apprehend. So don't take it personally. I mean, you don't have to wound yourself with it. But if you really need to, you have my permission. See, some people's pain body is so hungry that even after they eat a seven-course meal, they've got to have an argument. They've got to have a fight. They've got to have contention. They've got to have drama. They've got to have it. The pain body simply cannot go on another moment without something to eat. And it eats negative emotions and drama. And drama is negative emotions. We feed that pain body, that part of us, that negative part of us, feeds on negative emotions. And if it doesn't get any, it's got to make some. It's got to stir some up. You've noticed this in your own life, how you do it. How you may only be able to see it afterwards. But sure enough, you can see it if you look back. You can look back and see, you provoked that. You didn't have to say that. You had something stuck in your crawl. And rather than get it out yourself, you spit it out on someone else and started the ball rolling. And then you got your pain body satisfied and then you felt better. You felt like you'd eaten. Okay, well, now I can go to the next time I get hungry. It's true, it's insane. No one in their right mind, and I mean any esoteric teacher who knew anything about the truth of this universe, ever said that people here on this planet were sane. What they say is that people here on this planet are asleep, mechanical, and insane. They cannot see what is real because of their sleep. It doesn't have to be an offensive thing. It's simply a matter of fact. You accept it that way, try and keep your self-love out of the way, you can make progress. If not, then you'll have to play wounded for a while, and maybe later, after you're satisfied with all of the negative emotions you get to sip on for that time, maybe later you can come around and look at the idea again. So let's look at it this way. The dead body is one effect. There may be multiple motives, and finding the right cause is the work of a more interior thought, the work of the mind, not the work of the senses. The senses don't immediately reveal who done it or what the cause was. It takes more than that. It takes taking the data that you get from the senses and using the mind to arrange it correctly, to establish what is more likely and what is less likely. I think Holmes called that deduction. And what he would do is he would just remove one thing after another. He didn't keep adding things. First he would add everything, and then he would start removing them. House does the same thing. He'll write on that whiteboard all of these things, and they'll say, well, that's been ruled out, that's been ruled out. Go do the test, go do this, go do that. But he's always looking for a new symptom so that he can find the cause. Without the mind to interpret what is evident to the senses, you have a Lestrade instead of a Holmes. If there's not this kind of mind that can sort through what the senses is constantly bringing to us, a mind that is based on solid ideas, that was another thing that set Holmes apart, is he had a method, and his method came from his mind. And that method he stuck to so that he knew that the method of his mind was more accurate and more reliable than the effects that we see in the phenomenal world. You can be fooled. What do magicians do? They, they distract your attention and they do something and they fool you. That's really what it is. It's just an illusion or it's just a distraction. And the guys who are really good at it, they make a lot of money doing it in Las Vegas. The question then becomes, how does all this apply to esoteric ideas? And the answer you'll get from me is in every way, because everything applies to esoteric ideas, and esoteric ideas apply to everything. And that's why this work has to be done in life, because it applies to everything.
It applies to us. It applies to everything we see. It applies to everyone we know. Whether they know it or not, whether we know it or not, that doesn't change the fact. If someone doesn't know that the law of gravity states that an object in free fall will fall 32 feet per second per second until it stops, that doesn't mean that they are not affected by gravity. It just means they don't know the law of gravity and that something will fall 32 feet per second per second until it reaches maximum velocity or until it hits the ground or whatever, whatever stops its motion. When we take ourselves as one being, which we do ordinarily and consistently, we think from effect, we are thinking from appearance, just like Lestrade. You take yourself as one, you take any other person as one, and when you take yourself as one, you will take everyone else as one. It's only when you can wake up enough to see that you are not one that you will stop asking stupid questions like, why does he always do that? Why does she say that? And then why does he say this? And why does she say that now, but then she said that some other time? She's just a liar. That comes from taking yourself as one. If you don't take yourself as one, you won't take her or him as one. You will know that because you are many, they are many also. And you will know that one eye says one thing and another eye says another thing that can be absolutely opposite, and it can be in the next breath. And the person who you are calling this one person won't even know that they just contradict themselves unless they become aware, unless they begin to wake up a little bit, which is highly unlikely. We don't usually wake up while we're talking. Usually when we're talking, that means we're asleep because when we're talking, usually we're lying and people who are awake don't lie. Only people who are asleep lie. When we realize we are many different beings, we begin to think from the level of causes. We begin to think more interiorly. When you stop taking yourself as one, when you start to realize you're many different beings, there are many different eyes living in you, and each one is a being. Each one is an individual personality. Each one has its own thoughts and its own feelings. I realize this is an outrageous idea to the physical mind, to the sense-based mind, but esoterically, it is the truth. It's the way it is. You are not one. You are many. And whether you call it a number of different eyes or whether you call it a number of different personalities or a number of different beings or a number of different people, actual people living inside of you, it doesn't matter. As long as you can begin to see inside of yourself that you are not consistent, that you are not one, that you do not have one will but many wills, that you cannot have consistent thoughts because you have no consistent I to have consistent thoughts that you cannot have consistent feelings because you have no consistent I who's always going to be there in charge running the show so that you can stay on course. When you see that about yourself, you are thinking more interiorly. You have moved from the world of effects to the world of cause, and you see that what is causing all this out here is in there. Very few people realize this in any meaningful way for any length of time. But from time to time, people can realize it in a meaningful way. It just doesn't last long because they fall back asleep. So when we realize we're many different beings, that shifts us from the world of effects to the world of cause. Now we've entered Sherlock Holmes' world. We've entered the world of house. We've entered the world of a mind that thinks more interiorly. Instead of seeing one being, we see many beings. This is the direction esoteric ideas take us. When you start out on this path, the direction that you are going to be taken is from one to two to many, and then eventually back to one. First of all, it's going to show you that when you look in the mirror, you see one. Then it's going to break the mirror so that when you look in the mirror, you see at least two, 
It'll point out at least two, and then it will point out the many different U's in the shards of the broken mirror. And then, if you can continue, if you have the strength, and if you have the will, and if you have the valuation to continue, it will then melt that mirror and reform it into a new mirror where you will see one, where you will be one. That takes a long, long time, and a lot of heat. A mirror is made from glass, and glass is made from silica. And silica has to be melted in order to become liquid so that it can be poured into sheets of glass. I promise you that takes a lot of heat. Most people can't take the heat, which is why most people will never do this work. Most people will never embrace esoteric ideas to the point where they can be transformed because of the heat that it brings about inside of us. And that heat has to come. That heat we call suffering. And it has to be conscious suffering. You have to voluntarily, willfully put your hand in it. You have to walk across the fire. You have to step into it. And you have to do it voluntarily, willingly. A lot of people turn back right there. As soon as they find out that's what's in store for them, it's like, okay, well, forget that. I'm going back to the phenomenal world of effects. From the simple idea that one effect has one cause, that is, the siren blew, the toaster broke, we begin to see that there are any number of possible causes for the broken toaster. Maybe it's unplugged. Maybe the switch is broken. Maybe the element burned out. Now, from the one cause, now I know when sirens blow, toasters break, we think, well, now I know that when sirens blow and the electricity goes off and the switch breaks and the element breaks and they got water in it or whatever, then toasters break. So from one cause and one effect, we go to one effect and many causes many possible causes. One thing opens up into more things because the intelligence of the higher ideas is working in the person. As we talked about last week, one thing begins to open up into other things. And what makes it open up? This idea that there are more causes than we see. This idea that we cannot see the world that causes the effects that we do see by looking at the effects through the five senses. If you allow that idea a place in you, that idea will begin to change the way you think. You'll begin to think more interiorly. It will draw you out of the world and into your own internal world. It will draw you into another mind. Because those ideas come from a higher place, they must draw you up one level above the physical level. They draw you up one level. They actually pull you up. You've heard it said at any moment in time, time being this horizontal line, past, present, future, at any moment in time, if you look up, if you wake up, look up in this now moment, the eternal now, the rope, this intersecting line, this vertical line comes and intersects right here where you are on this line of time, no matter where it is. The moment you awaken and look up, it's there. If you take hold of that rope, you can pull yourself up one level. You can pull yourself up one level. You have pulled yourself into yourself more and out of the world of the five senses. You've backed off from the circumference of the wheel and you've started to move toward the center of the wheel. As we discussed in our Living Time podcast, when we look at a person, we see their body directly. When you look at someone, you see the person sitting there. Their lips are moving, their eyes are moving, the blinking, opening and shutting. Their body expresses itself as a whole in action. Steve moves forward, sits back. Patty's leaning forward. Rex is leaning back with his hands crossed. His body is expressing as a whole. So the body expresses itself as a whole in the action of the body. This is the effect. And the cause is invisible to us because the cause is on a different level. It's on an interior level or plane above or beyond the phenomenal world revealed to us by the senses. I look at your body, but I don't know what you're thinking. 
because what you're thinking is on a different level. It's not on the level of the five senses. It's not on the phenomenal plane. Your body may be expressing something. For example, Rex is rubbing his wife's back. But I have no idea whether he's thinking about his wife or not, or whether he's thinking about his dog. I have no concept whatsoever, or whether he's thinking about my cat sitting on his lap, because he does the same thing. And the truth is, is that mostly we can't judge what's going on inside of somebody because we have no idea what they're doing because they have no idea what they're doing. Most people's physical actions are mechanical, just like their words are mechanical. Just because someone says something, that doesn't mean that's what they think. That only means that's what that eye is saying right now. But you have no idea what another eye is going to say in five minutes or five seconds. This is the effect, what we're hearing, what we're seeing. But the cause is invisible to us because the cause is on a different level, more interior, a plane or a level that is above or transcendent of the physical. So it's a metaphysical mystery. In life, what we are filled with is metaphysical mysteries. If we wake up to the fact that not everything we see is explained by everything we see, that the things that we see can truly only be explained by the things that we can't see, that cause the things that we can see. The internal level can only be apprehended by the mind. In the case of that other person, only by his mind and never by our mind. Imagine where you would be if you lost your power of mind reading. Let's imagine that everybody on the planet lost their power of mind reading all at once. There would be instant peace and harmony on this earth. If you couldn't read other people's minds, which you can't, but if you knew you couldn't read other people's minds, if you lost the ability to think that you actually knew what someone else was thinking, everything would change. You can see that, right? You can see, I can tell you can see by the smile on your face. It's like, yes, if I didn't think I know what you were thinking, everything would change. It would have to. That's how insane we are. This is why judging another is a psychological, a spiritual crime. It's a crime. It's a psychological crime. It's a spiritual crime. Psychological and spiritual are interchangeable terms. They aren't interchangeable terms to people who, when their mother went to church and got scared by the preacher while she was pregnant with them, and then they have this aversion to religion from the time they're born. It's not interchangeable to them because they have a blind spot. But to people who have stepped back and gotten behind that thing out there that is constantly speaking for you and thinking for you and acting for you, that thing that you call you, people who have stepped back a step and gotten a glimpse of that, gotten behind that so that they can see it out there in front of them, those people realize that psychological and spiritual are the same thing. And when we judge another, it's a psychological, spiritual crime. How can you accurately judge what is invisible to you? Well, you can't. But the thing is, is your powers of perception, your powers of imagination is the real word, but your powers of imagination have given you this idea that you have the perception to know what someone else is thinking. And you're convinced of it. Your imagination has absolutely satisfied every center. You are absolutely convinced. If you tell someone what you think they're thinking and they tell you that's not what they're thinking, you are so convinced of your power to know what they're thinking that you will call them a liar if not to their face, in your own mind. Depending on just how angry you are, you'll call them a liar. In our own case, only you can know yourself. Therefore, man, know thyself, is the only avenue of development open to us since we can't know another, and no other can know us. So what this is all about, this big mystery, is about getting off this physical plane when we're looking for causes. 
and getting into transcending that, getting metaphysical, above the physical, beyond the physical, transcending the physical, and looking for ideas that will explain effect. And those ideas, if you have the right ideas, see, it's like Watson, you remember, could also deduce, but he didn't do it nearly as well as Holmes because he was more attached to the physical plane than Holmes. Holmes, for whatever reason, was out of this world. That's the only way to put it. House, for whatever reason, is out of this world. These people are not a real part of the world. They don't fit. They don't have the social lubricant. They don't have the things that make people fit well in this world. They're out of this world. You have to become like that. What makes Holmes and House so fascinating is that there is something in you that is calling you up, that is trying to draw you up out of this phenomenal world into the real world where cause is real. In effect, only points to cause. You light up an instant matter What's part of a cosmic